In a moment, tonight's story, The Royal Treatment. The first uniform of Marine officers? Adopted in 1776, it was a far cry from the dress uniform of today. The original uniform included a green coat faced with white, round cuff, slashed sleeves and pockets with buttons round the cuff, silver epaulet on the right shoulder, skirts turned back, buttons to suit the facing, white waistcoat and breeches, edged with green, black gaiters and garters, and green shirts for the men if they could be procured. That's another bit of Marine Corps history. Know the story of your service and be proud of its traditions. And now tonight's story, The Royal Treatment. Prince Rudolph, you may have the barber come out to my suite in 15 minutes, and the manicurist, uh, and the tailor too. And oh yes, I shall do some shopping this afternoon, so please have an auto and chauffeur available. That will be all for now, yes, thank you. Yes? Hello, Rudy. I beg your pardon? Ah, uh, come out from behind the beard, Rudy. Do you realize you're addressing Prince Rudolph of Lichtenberg? Sure, and I'm the Queen of Romania. Now see here, how dare... Nobody else but you, old Jonathan. Men, how are you? Oh, alive and coming. Come in, come in. Oh, it's good to see you, Frank. How long has it been? Oh, about five years, I guess. That long? Yeah, at least. Hey, nice layout, Rudy. A royal suite, naturally. Expensive. So who paid? How could you find me, Frank? Uh, the local newspaper, Society Page. Still peddling the uh, crown jewels? Well, it grieved me, but last month I was forced to sell the sole and remaining piece. For the 75th time. Oh, you're a <laughs> phony, Rudy, but certainly no common one. Uh, when I was just a boy, my mother said to me, Rudolph, you're every inch a prince. I've always tried to live up to her words. <laughs> Tell me, my friend, what brings you to Milwaukee? A mark. One of the fair sex, as usual? Well, the female sex, <laughs> but not so fair. However, she does have a gorgeous bank balance. Her old man does. He's filthy with it. He runs a chain of cafeterias around the state. Self-service. The doom of the aristocracy, even more than politics, without even meeting the mighty test, this commoner and his daughter. Their funds should be confiscated. Exactly why I dropped in on you, Rudy. You have a definite plan in mind? Oh, I did the minute I saw your picture in the paper. It gelled just like that. Now, unless you have something uh, better on the fire... I have nothing better. As a matter of fact, to be honest, right now I am between crown jewels. <laughs> criminal career, Rudy Bauman discovered he had a decided player for the royalty racket. From time to time, he portrayed assorted noblemen and royal pretenders. His favorite role throughout the years was that of Prince Rudolph of Lichtenberg. 
and his victims were, without exception, susceptible women with more money and social ambition than common sense. What's to like or not to like about a prince? Really, Father? Oh, all of a sudden it's Father. Is there anything wrong with that? It's always been Papa till now. Well, it's silly to call you Papa. Is it silly just because I like him? Times change, Father. Now, Papa's good enough for me, and just because he invited that man for dinner tomorrow... He's not just a man, he's a prince. In this country, we don't know from princes. In this country, you're either a Democrat or a Republican. Uh, All right, all right. But please don't mention it tomorrow night. Oh, I can't talk in my own house. Oh, you don't understand. I understand. You want me to keep my mouth shut. All right, I won't open it. I won't embarrass you. I won't say one word. I'll just sit there and eat the pot roast and potatoes. We're not having pot roast. That's Wednesday, isn't it? Every Wednesday we have pot roast. We're having something more suitable. What's wrong with pot roast? Please, Father, the prince is a, a gourmet. As a matter of fact, he and Mr. Malloy are thinking about opening a restaurant here. What did you say? The prince is considering opening a restaurant with Mr. Malloy. The prince will act as host. I should feed the competition. You don't understand it. It will be a very plush, swank place. Not your kind. Well, what's wrong with my kind? Do you have to misinterpret everything I say? I just meant they won't affect your business. Well, let them try. The American public knows where to get its money's worth. Nobody with a fancy title is going for them. Oh, sorry I even mentioned it. Heaven knows what you'll have to say about that tomorrow. Don't worry. Like I said, I'm keeping my mouth shut. But we're having pot roast and boiled potatoes just the same. Back to the royal treatment in just a moment. This is Jim Amici. Are you from Indiana? Many people call Indiana the Hoosier State. But according to the state's motto, Indiana is the crossroad of America. The factories of Indiana make it one of the principal manufacturing centers of the world. Indiana's industries produce great quantities of iron and steel products, including automobiles, farm implements, transportation equipment, and sewing machines. The products are made from the ore that comes from the rich mines of the Great Lakes area. Indiana has 51 miles of waterfront on Lake Michigan. The farms of the land of the Indians grow soybeans, grain, tobacco, onions, and tomatoes. Indianapolis, the state's largest city and capital, is the second largest city in the United States that's not on a navigable body of water. The second largest cave in America is the Wyandotte Cave in Crawford County. Famous mineral springs are found at French Lick and West Baton. Indiana takes pride in being one of the early states to use a secret ballot of the Australian type. Indiana, the 19th state to enter the Union, has contributed much to the heritage of America. In the years ahead, Indiana will add much to America's future. And now, Act Two of tonight's story, The Royal Treatment. In addition to his talent for portraying nobility, Rudy Bauman had keen insight into human nature. He felt safe in the knowledge that for fear of social embarrassment, his suckers would be reluctant to register official complaints. This made apprehension of Bauman particularly difficult. However, in April of 1956, the husband of one of his victims came forth happily. Believe me, gentlemen, it's my pleasure to report this to the FBI. We appreciate your cooperation, Mr. Pearson. 
Now, of course, uh, my wife Helen doesn't feel as I do about this. She begged me to forget about it, charge it up to loss. We understand. Well, I said to Helen, maybe this is going to hurt you, but right now I'm more interested in hurting that phony. Now, how did you find out that the pendant you bought from the prince was a fake? That uh, crown jewel? Well, now, there's a real story in that. Uh, we were at a party at the country club Tuesday night, and there was a jeweler visiting friends of ours, and they brought him along to the party. Well, when Helen found out that he was a jeweler, she rushed up to him to show off her prized possession. Well, I guess I don't have to tell you the rest. No, you don't have to tell us the rest. But Helen hasn't been quite the same since. There's a possibility we may be able to trace Bauman through this pendant. Do you mind if we keep it a while? Keep it for good. With my compliments, the jeweler said it was worth about $15. And it cost you 3500 well, now I'll tell you something, gentlemen. It's almost worth it. My home is now a different place. Because of it, I'm happy to say, very different. Father, where are you going? Upstairs to bed. Well, aren't you saying good night to our guest? I didn't say anything all evening, so why should I start talking now? Oh, Prince Rudolph. Mr. Malloy, I'm sorry about my father, Please, but... please, Miss Marlowe, there's no need to apologize. As a matter of fact, I admire men like your father. Uh, you know, Prince, I was about to say the same thing. Give me a man a few words any time. Oh, say, it's after ten. I'm afraid I have to go. Oh, must you? Well, there are some contracts I have to look over. Oh, yes, I have forgotten. Oh, well, look, Prince, you can leave those contracts to me. No sense you're bothering with them. Well, I would like to stay a bit longer. That is, uh, with Miss Marla's permission, of course. Oh, please do. Well, I'll, uh, I'll see you in the morning, Prince. Uh, thank you, uh, Miss Marla. Good night. Good night, Mr. Malloy. Another cordial? Oh, uh, no, thank you. You've no idea how happy I am that you accepted my invitation... I'm just sorry that dinner, well, it didn't turn out as I'd planned. I found it quite quaint uh, in a manner. The pot roast was my father's idea, but let me apologize. Oh, it is all right. I have decided to forgive all Milwaukee. What? For the outrageous cooking, for the indelicate dishes everywhere. I forgive everyone, and I have decided to show them the error of their ways. Oh, then you are going to open your restaurant here. Yes, I, I consider it not only a duty. But a holy mission, Prince Rudolph's, where every diner is treated royally. That's very impressive. Of course, I expect some resistance at first. Savages aren't converted overnight, you know. Oh, I know. Ah, I wish Mr. Malloy had some of your understanding. Everything with him is on a dollars and cents basis. He's a hard, practical businessman. With me, money is only secondary. I'm going to tell you something, and this is confidential. Of course. Because I believe in this project so intensely. I have pawned the last of the crown jewels, and I invested every last penny in it. Oh, that's real faith. Ah, without faith, without a cause, what is there left? Ah, still, one must have the faith and support of others. Well, you have mine. Do I? Completely. Just call on me any time for anything. Oh, Miss Marla, a princess could have said it no better. You have no idea how happy you make me. The only worthwhile thing about the pendant was the silver mounting which was hand-wrought. Our next step was to find the craftsman who had made the mounting for the phony stone which Rudy Bowman has pawned off as a crown jewel. Frank, I take off my crown to you. Uh, thank you, Rudy. How did you ever dream up a scheme like this? I'm a conniver like you. But that's the highest compliment I've ever been paid. Now, don't let it go to your head. 
And what is that supposed to mean? Now, look, Rudy, don't get any ideas. What are you talking about, Frank? That little deal you pulled on Vic Conway back in Buffalo in 48. The way I heard it, Vic set up the mark and you walked out on him with the loot. A tissue of lies. Maybe. Don't tell me you believe that. Well, anything's possible. What would I do? A thing like that to you? You'd better not try. But, Frank, you're my partner now. And I'm staying your partner. You'll do me a great disservice. Well, maybe I do, but I'm just telling you, Rudy, you'd better play this thing right down the line with me, or I'm going to crown you my way. What is it, Prince? You sounded something seriously wrong. I, I'm sorry to bother you, Miss Marla, but you're the only one I can talk to. Well, what is it about? Mr. Malloy. It's happened. What about Mr. Malloy, what happened? Well, I am too upset to discuss it over the phone. Do you, do you mind if I come over to your home? I'd much rather talk there. How dare he talk to you that way? I really didn't mind his insults. I didn't mind that he called me a useless relic, an old fool, an impractical dreamer. You're not a fool or a relic or an impractical dreamer. I'm not so sure now. Oh, there's nothing impractical about giving people something better than they're used to? At one time, I didn't think so. And it all started over the interior design? He's a businessman, and a businessman likes to cut corners, I suppose, save here and there... But I felt the decorations at Prince Rudolph's were as important as the food we served. We disagreed, and he tore up the contract. You're well rid of him. Oh, he was common, I'll admit. Well, I'm sure all he wanted was to use you, trade on your name. Unfortunately, Mr. Malloy was putting up the other $10,000 for the down payment, and when he tore up the contract, that settled everything. Well, there are others. Well, the businessmen are very much alike. With them, everything is practical, hard. But it doesn't have to be a businessman. It, it has to be someone who believes in you. Ah, find someone such as that. I told you the first night you came here I believed in you. Now I'm willing to prove it. What? Let me oh, talk to I you. Could. I know I'll be repaid <laughs> if that's what you're worried about. I know you'll succeed. I just know it. So let me give you my support, but, please. Well, well, very well, Miss Marla. I, I'd rather it wasn't this way, but... Uh, Nowadays, a prince cannot be a chooser. Back to the royal treatment in just a moment. A needle is small and insignificant, except to a tailor. A dusty amendment to the Constitution, forgotten after reading some seventh grade school book, is small and insignificant, too. Unless it's the Seventh Amendment and someone is suing you for all you own, your home, your money, your car, everything. He swears you owe him umpteen thousand dollars. You swear you don't. Who's right? And how to prove it? Simple enough. You call for a trial by jury. And that's just where that dry little amendment of the Constitution comes in. The now vital Seventh. It says that indeed you can have an open trial by jury, guaranteeing that justice be done. For the no longer musty amendment reads in part, the right of trial by jury shall be preserved. Well, it just didn't happen that way, although we often think our freedoms droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven. No, hard-thinking men in knee pants cast their wisdom into the future. In the city of New York, March 4th, 1789... The wise men of the first Congress, 
who created the Bill of Rights out of their souls and our need. And so, when accused, you have the right of trial by jury. Fellow citizens who hear all the arguments then pass an opinion, a judgment that must be adhered to by all interested parties. And you are interested now in that half-forgotten Seventh Amendment. It is one of our freedoms. And now, Act Three of tonight's story, The Royal Treatment. A checkout on the pendant indicated the mounting was the handiwork of Benny Pascal, who had a small novelty jewelry shop on New York's Lower East Side. Pascal was known to us for his special talent. He had once served time for resetting stolen gems in new mountings. Here, gents. Something I can show you? Uh-uh. Something we want to show you. Huh? This. Uh, that? That. Familiar with it, Benny? Should I be? Uh-huh. Why? You made it for Rudy Bauman. Bauman? The name escapes me now. Uh, you cops? FBI. Oh. Bauman's name still escape you? All of a sudden, I'm beginning to remember, there was, um... There was this here guy who come in one day and asked me to make him up something. Danny. Okay, so why should I fool around with the FBI? That much, Rudy, don't pay me for these pendants. You know what he uses them for, don't you? Please, don't ask me. I'm just an artisan who minds his own business. We don't have to ask you. We know. So what do you want from me? Rudy Bauman himself. He ain't here. Look around the shop if you Benny. want to. Do I have to tell you? If not here, then downtown. Well, he's at the Crestview Hotel, Milwaukee. I was just going to mail him out another pendant. So at least now I'll save the postage. <laughs> Let you change your mind. I have the money here. In cash? Yes, and I insist you take it. Oh, but... If you don't come here for it, I'm bringing it to your hotel. Oh, no, no. I- I'll come there if you insist. I'll be waiting. Goodbye. Anna. Oh, Father. I didn't know you were home. You still can't make it Papa, huh? Do we have to talk about that now? All right, Anna. We'll talk about something else. Really, Father, I'm very busy. We'll talk about the money you took out of the bank this morning. How did you know? Mr. Jordan called me at the office right after you left the bank. He said he thought I should know. You're giving that man your money. It's my money. Did I say no? And what do you want? Why did you come home? Maybe I do make everything sound simple, but... I wouldn't want you to do anything foolish, Anna. I know exactly what I'm doing, and Father, I'm warning you. If you interfere, if you so much as say one word when Prince Rudolph comes here, I'll walk out of this house, and I'll never come back. What happened, Rudy? I've been waiting to hear from you. Well, she just called me a minute ago. And? She said she'd have the money, all right. When? I'm to go over to her place for dinner. She'll give it to me then. Cash? Of course. Don't let the evening drag. I won't. I'll be back here at the hotel by ten, the latest. All right. I'll meet you then. Number plate. Oh, this is Prince Rudolph. Connect me immediately with the person in charge of airplane reservations. 
My luggage is in the next room. Please hurry. All right, Rudy. You tell me where the luggage is. Uh, Frank. Now tell me where that $10,000 is. Didn't you get my message? Go ahead. Keep talking. I left a note at your place telling you that her father found out about me. I don't know how, but he did. Go ahead. Keep lying. I know the circumstances appear strange. Not strange at all. I sort of expected something like this. That's why I waited downstairs in the lobby. I saw you come in. We have to get out of town, Frank, before the police come. That's what I wrote in the message. The police, huh? Yes, they may be here any minute. And that's why you strolled across the lobby just as easy as you please with a big grin on your face? You don't believe me. Should I? I suppose not. What made you try a thing like this? To be honest? As honest as you can. I envisioned that money as sort of a pension. I'm not getting any younger, you know. I know one thing. You're going to get a lot older suddenly unless I get my share of the loot in a hurry. Well, it's in a small valise in the other room. I'll get Never it. Never mind. Uh, I wouldn't trust you across the room. Ah, ah, the porter, finally. Oh, send, send him away. Uh, you won't be needed. I'm not leaving yet. We think you are, Bauman. Huh? And who are you, too? FBI. Oh. Everybody comes but the porter. Horrible service. This is the last time I'll stop at this hotel. <laughs> As we entered Rudy Bauman's royal suite, Frank Malloy was coming out of the bedroom with a handful of cash. Bauman was quick to tell us the whole story, minimizing his role in the scheme, of course. Because both Bauman and Malloy entered pleas of guilty, their trial was brief. However, their sentences were long, the maximum term. They're now serving their time in a prison where no inmate is singled out to get the royal treatment. dramatization for the FBI and Peace and War was written by Ed Adamson. These programs are produced and directed by Betty Mandeville. All names and characters used on the program are fictitious. Any similarity to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. This program is based upon Frederick L. Collins' copyrighted book, The FBI in Peace and War, and the broadcast does not imply endorsement, authorization, or approval by the Federal Bureau of Investigation. This is Warren Sweeney inviting you to listen to next week's story on the FBI in Peace and War. Same time, same station. in Peace and War has come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.